Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. This weekend, we are concluding our series on the values that our church embraces. I hope these are uh, lessons and messages that uh, have helped you, maybe inspired you, or enabled you to identify qualities in your own life that can help you enrich your life as well as the lives of your family members. These are biblical values, and as we work through it, we try to emphasize the values that we embrace as a, as a church family. Some of them are aspirational, you know, you kind of two steps forward and three steps back with some of them from time to time, but they are goals, they are values that we aspire to. Uh, they will improve your personal life, your family life, your business life, and your church life. And just by way of remembrance, let me refresh for you a little bit of the values, a few of the values that we've covered. We talked about the value of faith, how everything begins and ends in reality with our, our view of God, and we base how we view him on his word. Uh, we try to be a church that uh, teaches in principle and precept the God's word. Uh, you try to teach it as it is to people as they are, and so we try to be true to that value, our value of faith. And then we said the second value is authenticity, the importance of being real and being genuine. I think that's one of the values that attract people to any church is if they sense within that congregation um, the value of authenticity, of being genuine, being genuine in our struggles, being genuine with the fact that we make mistakes, we sin, there's no perfect people, there's no perfect churches, so we embrace the value of authenticity. Then the third value is integrity, uh, being a whole person, healthy in every respect. Remember, integrity comes from the idea of integer, which is a whole number, and so we want you to be wholesome, we wanna be healthy spiritually, Emotionally, physically, that's a goal. And then we talked about the value of excellence. And we said, by definition, the word excellence is to excel, to go beyond average. And certainly that ought to be a goal that we have in our, in our daily lives is to do everything we can at a high level to do it with excellence. And then we talked about community, the value of being involved and connected with one another. The principle of God's word is none of us live to themselves alone, none of us die to ourselves alone. We need each other. We need the encouragement and the fellowship and hey, the accountability of uh, knowing one another and being in fellowship with each other. And then last week I talked about the value of generosity, how everything God has created, he's created it with the idea of reproducing itself, reciprocity, our lungs take in and give out, our heart is constantly pumping of giving and receiving. And I believe the happiest and healthiest people are people who embrace generosity. And then this weekend we're going to conclude with perseverance that incredible value of perseverance. By definition, perseverance is to persist in a state or undertaking in spite of opposition or discouragement. To be able to persist in a state that's difficult in a time, in fact, the word perseverance is sometimes translated in the Bible as endurance. Uh, sometimes it's translated in that way. Uh, it's the idea of not necessarily having a burden lifted from you, as much as it is being able to function with the burden that you carry. 
I've told you before, there is a, a reality to our Christian experience that God will not remove every burden that we pray he will. Uh, I encourage you to pray that he will. I mean, who wants a burden? But I've just found in my life and perhaps in yours as well that there are some burdens that God has just foreordained that are necessary for us to carry. In fact, there is a verse that expresses that in Hebrews that he will not lay on his children anything other than necessary burdens. So there are some burdens that are necessary. So the quality of persistence, the, the quality of perseverance, the quality of endurance is something that we have just to be able to function in our daily life. It is, again, the idea of being able to live while carrying a certain burden. And so perseverance is essential. Listen to what the late President Calvin Coolidge said about it. Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful people with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are powerful. The slogan, press on, has solved and always will solve the problems of the human race. Now, I would say that's not true because he said it. I would say he said it <laughs> because it's true. I mean, the idea of persistence, the idea of being, uh, 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 having the quality of endurance, of, of knowing how to function in spite of the circumstances you find, it in, uh, find yourself in is essential. I love what the, the, the great Charles Spurgeon once said, and I read it where he said, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. <laughs> and so there is a reward that comes with perseverance of just hanging in there, not giving up, not giving in. In fact, I believe with all my heart that perseverance is a quality and a value that we ought to have, especially since we have an enemy that comes at us every day. I've told you before, anywhere you find God building, you'll find the devil blasting. Anywhere God is at work, wherever the Holy Spirit is at work, you'll find the unholy spirit is at work. And so it's important that we recognize that. I heard the story of this small country church and all of a sudden the pastor had been teaching on the value of perseverance and, and realizing there is a real devil uh, and, and, and we need to be aware of that fact. And suddenly there was a supernatural manifestation of the devil himself in that service and he appeared right in front of the platform on the first row. And suddenly, man, everybody is out of the room. Can you imagine? I mean, everybody is running for the doors and they're getting out of there as quick as they can. And, and the pastor, he's gone. I mean, he was probably the first out of the village. And everybody left except for this one old man who was sitting on the front row. His arms are folded. He's just looking kind of disgusted at the devil. And the devil looks at the old man and says, you know who I am? He goes, yeah, I know who you are. He says, and you know who I am and you don't fear me? He says, no, I'm not afraid of you at all. He said, well, if you know who I am, why aren't you afraid of me? He said, because I've been married to your sister for 50 years. <laughs> yeah. So there is a value of persistence, of just hanging in there, not giving in, not giving up. In fact, when you look at the Apostle Paul's life, uh, Paul wrote over half of the New Testament. One of the incredible values of Paul's life was his perseverance. I mean, he says as much when he writes in Romans chapter eight, verse 25, he talks about the value of endurance and persistence, how it pays off and is rewarded in the end. 
I believe Paul probably wrote Hebrews, and in Hebrews he uses this uh, analogy of a runner, and he says in Hebrews 12, let's run the race with perseverance. Let's run the race with endurance. Let's run this race and let's run it well under difficult circumstances. And sadly, guys, I think we all know of people who have disengaged from this effort. Life got hard and things got difficult and they went through a betrayal or a setback or a disappointment and it's caused them to move away from this value. They're not the same person they used to be. Now life's experiences has embittered them. Instead of them getting sweeter and wiser, they've just kind of become bittered by, embittered rather, by the experiences that they've gone through. And I'm not critical of people. I know everybody responds to the troubles and trials of their life in different ways. I've lived long enough and I've been in this work long enough to know you have to cut people a lot of slack because God cuts me slack. And you have to give people permission to press in or to push away because all of us are different and there's people that go through those cycles and circumstances of life where because of the unfairness of it and the injustice of it, uh, we think God is not at work and we get discouraged and we, and we push away. And here's what I've learned. It doesn't matter if the issue that causes you to push away, it doesn't matter if the issue is legitimate or not, if it's real or imagined. If the end effect of that experience causes you to push away from God instead of pressing into him, that's really all the enemy is interested in. He just doesn't want us to be functioning fully in the purpose and design of God for our lives. So if he can get us on the sideline, if he can get us even more so in the grandstands, and he can move us off the field, then he can diminish our influence and our effectiveness. So. This idea of perseverance is so essential to how we finish. There are a lot of people that start well. In fact, if you go back in the Old Testament in Judges 13, it talks about uh, Samson, the strong man of the Old Testament. We've all heard about Samson. And there's an incredible verse that really uh, describes his life. In Judges 13, verse five, the Bible simply says this about Samson. He started to lead Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. He started, he began, but there's not a verse in the Bible that says he finished what he started. So beginnings are important and starting is, is significant, but finishing, I'm convinced, is even more essential and is even more important. And whether you're trying to finish well in your business or in your life or in the race that you're called to run, uh, endurance, persistence, uh, perseverance, is a value that you have to have. Every runner in the room would tell you that. Every business person in the room would tell you that. You've got to have perseverance or you will not finish. Some have fallen by the wayside because of, of weakness. Uh, they got injured. They sustained hurt or pain. In fact, the Bible says in Galatians 5, 7, you, you ran well and then he said, who hindered you? Who knocked you off course? And sometimes it's not a what, an injury can be a what, sometimes the injury is a who. <laughs> Sound like Dr. Seuss, right? Um, it's not a what, but a who. So, sometimes the thing that knocks you off course is disappointment in other people. And other people will disappoint you. I'll disappoint you. Uh, the best I've told you before, any of us will ever be are sinners saved by grace. That's why Paul said, don't put your confidence in the arm of the flesh because the flesh will fail you. 
You put your confidence in Jesus, he'll never fail you. Value number one. You place your confidence in your faith and in your trust of God. And so I'm just suggesting that people have been injured, they've been knocked off the track because of something that happened or something someone did. Sometimes it's not a weakness, sometimes it's weariness. People just get worn out, they get tired. You remember the, the great verse in Isaiah 40 where he said, those who wait on the Lord renew their strength. Uh, the, the word renew in the Hebrew is to exchange. It's the idea that you are exchanging your weakness with his strength. But he says those who wait on the Lord, what does it mean to wait on God? You think of waiting as being a, a passive activity. But when you understand the biblical uh, meaning of the idea of waiting, it's, it's not passive, it's very active. Uh, for example, you go to a restaurant in a little while and you'll probably have a, a waiter or a waitress that will take your order. Let me ask you, if you've ever waited tables, is that activity passive or active? It's active, it's very active. And so I'm suggesting to your heart that waiting on God is not a passive activity where you do nothing, it's very active. What do you do during that period of time where you're weary and waiting? Well, you look to him, you look to him, you're sensitive to him. During that time, you listen for him. God is often, as the Bible said, he's not in the storm and he's not in the noise. Sometimes it's the still, small voice. So get out on the water, take a hike in the woods, get away somewhere away from the noise of your life where you can be quiet and still, where you can hear his voice, especially in a time where you're weary and you're waiting. So you look to him and you listen to him. The third thing I would tell you to do in the waiting is you lean on him, you lean on him. More so than you normally would. You say, God, in you I live and I move and I have my being. I'm dependent upon you. I need to hear from you. God, I, I just need to know what I need to do. I'm trying to persevere, but I'm weary. Sometimes it's weakness. Sometimes it's weariness. Sometimes, hey, it's just waywardness. We get tired, as I said a moment ago. We walk away. One of the best disciples that Jesus ever had, a man willing to lay down his life for Jesus, was Simon Peter. You remember in the garden when they came to arrest Jesus and Simon Peter, remember he pulls his sword and you have this, the priest guard is there to arrest Jesus and Malchus was the head guard and the Bible says that Simon Peter struck Malchus and cut his ear off, you remember that? And Jesus reaches down on the ground and puts the ear back on Malchus' head, probably said something like, God, or I love you, you know, God love you, son. I, here's what I believe about that. I believe that Simon Peter wasn't trying to cut his ear off. I don't think he was a good marksman. I think he was trying to split his head. I think he was trying to kill that joker. He just hadn't been to the range. He didn't have it dialed in, so he was, he was off to the click to the right. And so I'm just suggesting that you get, you get wayward because you don't go too much farther in the story of Simon Peter, and you hit John 21, and guess what Peter does? He goes back to his old life. I'm going fishing, I'm done with God, I'm done with church, I'm fed up with it, I'm going fishing. I, I'm going, basically he was saying, I'm going back to doing the thing I did before I met God. I'm done. And some people don't persevere because of waywardness. They just get overwhelmed and they push away. But in this story that I wanna share with you about the Apostle Paul's life, there are really four things that I saw that are really things to embrace when you're trying to persevere. 
And to launch into it, let me give you Hebrews chapter 10, 36 is kind of the springboard. It's really, as I said, a verse that I believe Paul had written himself. And in Hebrews 10, 36, here, here's what he said. You have need of patience, um, endurance, perseverance. You have need of this, he said. Why? So after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Now let me talk to you about how that got fleshed out in Paul's life. And Acts chapter 18 is really the center of what I want to share with you. I said I was going to jump off there in Hebrews, but I want to get to Acts 18. And in Acts 18, there are four things that really stood out to me as Paul talks about his ministry here that were essential to his perseverance. The first thing before I read the text is what I'm going to call Paul found friends. He found friends to help him. And guys, if you're going to persevere, you're going to need some friends to help you. You're not going to be able to do this on your own. Notice it, Acts chapter 18, look at the first few verses there. Paul left Athens, he goes to Corinth, and there he met a Jew by the name Aquila, under Ryan Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, Aquila, Priscilla, there's two, because they went to see them, because he was a, a tent maker as they were. He stayed and worked with them. Paul was a businessman. To supplement his income during that time, he would make tents, uh, he was bivocational, a lot of his ministry. And so here he has friends that are helping him during this season. He said, then verse five, he said, when Silas and Timothy, now I've got four friends, uh, came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. He said, these friends that came around me enabled me now, I didn't have to be bivocational all the time because of their help, because of their assistance, probably some financial support uh, is what is implied. He was able then to put his full focus on the thing God had called him to do, which was telling people about Jesus and using his skills and his abilities in order to do that. But the thing I don't want you to miss, and when I read this, it really struck me, is the fact that for Paul to persevere, he needed some friends around him. I've told you this before, and maybe you agree with me or not. I think in life, you'll have a lot more acquaintances than you'll have real friends. I know on Facebook, probably everybody's on Facebook, and they call those connections you have friends. <laughs> and I had somebody tell me one time, Bill, I have 400 friends. I said, no, you don't. Not really. I mean, you have 400 connections on Facebook, but you don't really have 400 friends. 400 friends? 400 people you really feel comfortable confiding in? 400 friends that you're okay sharing some of your darkest moments and your, and your doubts and your fears? You don't, my point is you don't have that many. It's kind of, I always think about the deck of cards. You get 52, but you get four aces out of the 52. That's kind of friends. You, you, you're gonna go in life, you're gonna have a lot of people who know you and maybe like you, and people you'll help, you'll do business with them, but you're probably gonna have a very small circle of real, of real friends. Paul had a very small circle. Everybody knew him. He was famous in the then known world. Paul started all these churches. He had a dynamic ministry, probably ministered to thousands of people <laughs> all over that region of the world. And yet when you really look at his life and the people closest to him, he just had a handful of people. And I think God kind of designed it that way. I mean, you think about Jesus. He ministered to the thousands, but he was only close to 12. And one of them betrayed him. So if you brought people into your life and you've been betrayed, well, you're in pretty good company. <laughs> Jesus did that as well. 
I, I, I mean, the point is, whenever you try to uh, build a business or you try to build a successful family, you're going to need some people around you, uh, some encouragement. Someone said association uh, begets assimilation. It's the idea from that expression, you become like the people you, you run with. My grandmother used to say, birds of a feather flock together. You ever hear that expression? And there's really a lot of truth to that. Listen to Proverbs 22, 24. The Bible says, don't make friendships with angry people. Don't be around these hostile people. Um, Proverbs 27, 17 says, but iron will sharpen iron. You will get better by the people you surround yourself with. Proverbs 13, 20, if you walk with wise people, you'll be wise. But if you walk with foolish people, you'll do foolish things. We tell our kids that all the time, right? Be careful of the friendships that you form in life. So the first thing I would tell you that really jumped out at me in Acts 18 was the fact that Paul had friends in his life to help him. And let me say one more thing about that. You need some safe friends. Safe friends. Friends that won't judge you on your worst day. Friends that will not judge you when you say things that you don't even mean. They're not gonna post about it or put it in the form of a prayer request. You know, Instead, they're going to say, I get it, I understand, I'm here for you, I'm sorry you're going through a hard time. You need some safe friends. You need some people that will just let you say how you're feeling in that moment and they don't judge you because of that. Because every psychologist that I've known, and we have many in our church, they'll tell you that if you can get someone to say what they're thinking about, they won't believe what they just heard themselves say, most of the time. But you've gotta get that out. You can't harbor it in your heart. So do you have safe people in your life where you could say, hey, I, I, can, I just, can I just talk to you for a minute? I, I just need to tell you what's going on in my life. And they're safe people, Paul had that. Second thought, not only did he have friends that helped him, but he had a foe that constantly hindered him. And you and I guys are gonna face some headwinds. I told you a minute, right, a minute ago, where God's work building, devil's at work blasting. Look at down in verse six of Acts 18. But when the Jews opposed Paul, these religious people opposed Paul because uh, it, they became abusive. Notice what he did, he shook out his clothes in protest. Uh, some translation has it that he, he shook his feet, he dusted his sandals off and said, your blood is on your own hands, I am clear of my responsibility. Now opposed in the Greek, the idea is they set themselves in a battle array. I mean, they were gonna lay hands on him. They were physically going to fight him. He was putting a dent in the attendance at the local synagogue. <laughs> he was teaching people, your religion is not the way to heaven, your relationship to Jesus is. And the religious order of the day were very threatened by his message to the point that they incited the crowd to go after him physically. And what he did was a beautiful thing. He just said, I I'm done, you know? I I'm, I'm shaking the dust off my feet. I I I'm not gonna try to convince you anymore. Have you ever tried to convince someone to a different way of thinking and found there's no hope? You're just not gonna, you're just not gonna succeed. You have, um, uh, what is the word? You have uh, uh, objective people, open-minded. You have subjective people who are very closed-minded. And man, when an objective person who comes at you and says, look, I have an opinion, but I don't have all the facts, so my opinion can change. And when you run head to head with a very subjective-minded person, 
you're pouring water uphill. <laughs> you're not, and at some point, you just cut off the dialogue. At some point, you just simply say, I, I, you know, I can't do this anymore, and you just move away and you move on. There's nothing you can do to do that. You say, I've got a thesis. Here's another way of thinking it. Uh, I have a thesis, and you have a synthesis. Uh, I'm sorry, an antithesis, and together we'll find you know, synthesis. That, that's how typically thinking people respond, but sometimes you will encounter people who, who don't think that way. Here's what I know. True ignorance is not seen so much in what a person doesn't know as it is in what a person thinks they know that isn't so. Think about it. It's when a person thinks they, they know something and it isn't so, that hurts them more th than anything else. So Paul ran into these people, they were so subjective in their thinking and they were so uh, bought into their religious traditions that nothing could shake them and finally he just had to simply walk away. And I'm just saying, guys, in life, you're gonna similarly have people who aren't gonna be on board with you, who aren't gonna share your values or your vision. And so you need to know, okay, this is an acquaintance, this is someone that I kind of put them over here in this box, but I can't count on them as a friend. I can't pull them into my circle, and I sure can't tell them everything that's on my heart because I can't trust them. Here's the thing about trust. Trust is not automatically given to anyone. You earn trust. The only one who's worthy of trust is God, and it's on our coinage, and God we trust. Why? Because he's never failed us. But you earn trust. When trust has been violated in a relationship, the relationship can heal, but it's gonna take time to build trust. You're gonna to have to take some steps in order to build trust. And so I'm suggesting that when you have people come against you, you have to identify, is this a friend who's trying to confront me over an area of my life that I need to look at? Or is this someone who's criticizing me because they're either jealous of me or they're trying to you know, bring me down, shall we say, to their level? And the reason you have to be careful responding to them, because people say, I'm gonna get even if it's the last thing I do. Well, if they're coming at you here and you're here and you get even, what happens when you get even? You go down to their level. Sometimes you don't need to get even. Sometimes you need to walk away and just turn it over to the Lord and say, God, you handle it. You remember what happened when Paul had an experience with Alexander the coppersmith? He said, Alexander the coppersmith has done me much evil. And I love the way the King James phrases it. He said, may the Lord record, uh, reward him according to what he's done. Now that sounds sweet, but there's a little sarcasm in that. You know what he was saying? God give him everything that's coming to him. <laughs> Isn't that a good way to pray for people that have hurt you? Lord, just, I wanna pray for him, Lord. Here's how I pray for my enemies. Let them get everything that's coming to him. <laughs> give them grace and mercy but let them have everything that else is coming to them, you know? So anyway, I have to get off that. Here's the point, there'll be foes to hinder you. Here's the third one. You're gonna have a father that will honor you. God honors persistence. He honors faithfulness. Look at verse seven and eight. Then Paul left the synagogue. He got tired of arguing with these guys. He shakes the dust off his feet. I'm getting nowhere with these guys. And notice what he does, he goes next door. I mean, he's just been booted off the steps of the synagogue for preaching about a relationship with Jesus instead of religion, and they said, we're done with you. He shakes the dust and goes next door. God opens an opportunity for him next door. He goes next door to the house of, of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, Crispus, note now, who was the synagogue ruler. 
the same synagogue he just got kicked to the curb from. And notice what happened with the synagogue ruler. His entire household believed in the Lord Jesus and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul speak, they believed in, in Jesus as well. What happened? God honored his perseverance. Can I tell you something, guys? When you go through a hard time and you do the right thing in the middle of a hard time, God will honor you. It may not be the dream you envisioned. It may not be the thing that you hoped for or even prayed for. God may close that, but he may then open a brand new opportunity for you. And in this case, man, he was trying to convert these people who were so steeped in their religion in the synagogue, and they said, man, we're coming after you. You get out of here. They're gonna lay hands on you. He shakes his responsibility. God opens the door next door, and one of the rulers of the synagogue brings his family to hear Paul, and he's persuaded to receive Jesus. And all of a sudden, man, a revival, a spiritual awakening breaks out in Corinth because the father honored his son for doing the right thing. And guys, I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know the pressure you're feeling. I don't know the stress that you're under, but can I tell you, just keep doing the right thing. Just keep getting up every day, putting one foot in front of the other. Go out and make a living, do the best you can, treat people right, love people, honor people, do the best you can to serve people, love Jesus. And when two and two stops adding up to four and nothing makes sense, you, value one, you embrace your faith. And you say, Lord, I trust you. I believe in you. I don't understand this. It makes no sense. It doesn't seem fair, but I, I know you're doing right. I know I'm doing right, and I know you will not fail me. God's never failed one of his kids. There's a beautiful psalm where David writes and says, I'm an old man now, but I was once young. And here's what he said. I have never seen his righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. David said, when I look back over my life, God's never failed me. He's been faithful. And I can tell you with what I've been through, and, and maybe you could agree with what you've gone through. I look back over my life and many things I don't understand, and many things I don't think as I've told you will make sense till I'm in heaven. But what I can tell you standing before you this morning, God has never failed me. He won't fail you. Paul found a father to honor him. Here's the last thought, we'll go. The fourth thought was he found that his faith would hold him. His belief in God, that faith would hold him. He embraced his faith and his faith embraced him. Look at verse nine and 10. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. What did he say to Paul? Don't be afraid. Man, Paul had had people turn on him. He had people threaten him. He had all this opposition. He's persisting. And what is the word from heaven? Paul, don't be afraid. Notice what he said. You keep on speaking. You don't be silent. Can I stop here long enough to say, never doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. When you're clear about a decision and you know what you need to do and you make the right call, when it gets tough, and when you make a good call, there's gonna be consequences. People aren't gonna understand. You're gonna find people may not even agree with you. But in your heart of hearts, when you can stand before God and say, God, I made a hard call. I did it because I knew it was right. I knew it was best for me, for my family, for my business, for my church, whatever environment you made the call in, then when it gets rough and it gets difficult and the storm clouds gather over your life, don't question then in the dark what God told you to do in the light. 
Have you ever done that? Oh, did I miss something somewhere? Could I get a redo? Could I go? No, you can't. You don't get redos. And if you were pressing into God and praying about it, you made the right call. So don't question yourself. And so Paul found, man, God speaks to him. Don't be afraid. You just keep, you keep doing what you've been doing and don't be silent. And look at this verse 10. This is beautiful. For I am with you. Man, that, that should be full stop. That should be all that matters. <laughs> it's, it's not that I'm with him. It's that he's with me. <laughs> God's got you back, man. He is, in, in fact, there's a psalm that says God will be, I love it in the King James, he'll be a buckler to those who follow him, buckler. In the Hebrew, it means he goes before you. Um, we get the word uh, cattle catch, or the idea of a cattle catch on the front of the train. Remember the old steam engines? They had the cattle catch, I'm doing my hand like that so you can get the visual. Uh, they had the cat, I caught myself doing, what's he doing? Uh, they had the cattle catch on the front of the train. It was so that when the train's going down the track, if there was a dead animal on the track, the cattle catch would knock it out of the way so the train didn't derail. It's, it's, it's if you've ever been hiking and you've had, you needed a machete to kind of work your way through certain parts of the hike because the thorns and the, you know, so hard to navigate, that's what, God, he walks in front of you. He's like a guide. He's the cattle catch. He said, Paul, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I will, I will go for you. No harm will come to you because I have many people in this city. I've got people that I'm gonna use. Uh, you may not have been able to, to find comfort or encouragement from the people you look to, but I'm gonna send you people you didn't even know were there. Sometimes you don't win over the person you're going after, but because you made the effort and you persevered, God will send you someone else that you didn't even know that will respond to your word. So that's exactly what happened. He encouraged him and he stayed with it. I read this, let me give you this and we'll go. Uh, it's really cool, At the age, maybe you're familiar with this story. At the age of 13, Bethany Hamilton, was a rising star in the surfing world when she lost her left arm in a shark attack. Remember, I don't know how many remember that story. A month later, she got back on her board and within two years, Bethany won her first national surfing title. Imagine the courage it took for her to step back into the water. Today, if you Google her, or you search her, she still competes and she uses her platform, get this, to share her faith. Let me give you a quote. She said, I have been able to overcome some of the most challenging obstacles of life because of the grace of God and because of his plan. And I would say one more about Bethany. She didn't quit. She didn't quit. The grace of God is at work in our lives. His plan is at work in our lives. But what we need is the persistence of somebody like that kid, Bethany. Just to say, I'm not gonna give in. I'm not gonna give up. I'm not gonna give out. <laughs> I'm gonna do the thing God has called me to do, and God will bless you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this value of perseverance. Uh, thank you for the synonym that comes out of it, the idea of persistence. So Father, I, I pray that we will be persistent, that we will endure, that we, Father, will follow you when the road is smooth and when the road is rough. Lord, I pray that you will encourage my friends here today and those watching online to persevere. Whatever they're going through, to persevere. Lord, I pray you'll bless every business, every marriage, every family. Every one of us in this room, we're broken in different places, we're struggling in different ways, 
We're carrying burdens that are similar and sometimes very different. But Lord, it's comforting to know that the God of heaven knows who we are. You know what we're going through and you will not fail. And finally, Lord, I pray for any of our friends here who may never have trusted you as Savior, that this might be the moment right where they are, where they humble their heart and they say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sin. With everything I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. And I ask this now in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.